Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Christmas Day of 2019, gone and passed. Many of you are no doubt relieved. Some are sad, while few may even be disappointed. Your Black Friday has turned into a red credit card debt. And your dreams of a white Christmas turn into a dark nightmare. For some of the kids, seeing what others got has made them green with envy. And now them and their parents have the Christmas blues. For many, Christmas Day can be more stressful than the days after Christmas. But most often than not, it's those days after Christmas that's going to cause you some headaches. Many are going to spend the next six months trying to get out of debt. The expensive toys that you brought are broken. Gifts are torn, returned, and resurfaced. And before you know it, in a few months... We'll be doing it all over again. But that was not the case after Christ's Mass. Not the first one. From that moment, things changed better for the, for the better permanently. And we can keep in mind Christmas Day is a celebration when Christ massed himself in human flesh for the sole purpose of going to Calvary's cross to pay our sin debt, we are less likely to have the Christmas blues. After Christmas blues, it may be a sign of we're guilty of Christmas abortion. Now, abortion can be defined as the termination of a life within. And there are two types of abortion that we are familiar with or they have in the medical books. One is medical abortion where it's taking a medication to dissolve the life within the uterus. But there's also surgical abortion, which is a medical procedure to cut out that life within. And for our purpose, I want to add a third, which is spiritual abortion. Spiritual abortion is when the life of the word of God is conceived inside of us, but it's not allowed to come to full turn. Spiritual abortion most often occur within the church. The word of God gives life to all who receive it. It penetrates the heart where it can take root if it remains and receive nourishment. But, but, but the word of God, like a physical pregnancy, has potential to cause growth. 
And this growth brings about a physical change. Now, now I know that some pregnancy has been hid for a period of time that people didn't know, but there still was a physical change. Normally, you can tell when somebody's pregnant. So if you have the word of God inside of you, something ought to happen where people who see you know there's growth within. No inward growth means no change. No change means there's no life. On this last Sunday of 2019, I want us to examine three passages of scripture. Now, on the surface, they may not be seen to be connected to each other or even to the topic that we're dealing with today. But I want you to kind of work with me and be patient with me and key in on several words that will connect all of them together and to the topic. Our first passage of Scripture is found in Luke writing in the book of Acts. Paul is defending himself against the accusation of the Judaizers, those Jews who did not accept Jesus as Savior. Paul finds himself going from one head of government to another. Then he comes to this one particular guy that I want to bring to your attention, found in Acts 26, looking at verses 27 and 28. Paul asked King Agrippa a question. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Then he makes a statement. I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost, somebody said almost, persuaded me to become a Christian. You see, in this first passage, we, we find a man of power, prestige, and distinction. His own words say, by his own image, he said he almost believed. But like many today, what happened was he heard the word and something moved on the inside of him. But he refused to allow the word to come to full term in his inner being. In other words, he will not, would not allow the word to stay where it could grow. This is often the case with many in America. They participate in the activities of Christmas. They even go to church. They're touched by the songs and the story of Jesus and the nativity scene. But after Christmas, their actions give evidence that they have aborted the truth of Christmas. But spiritual abortion is not just restricted to Christmas. And I want y'all to hear me good on this one. Sometimes we have what we need to call selective abortion of Scripture. Now we confess that we believe that the Bible is God's word. That is true. But when his word is spoken from the pulpit or the podium and we don't like it, we abort it. Now, sometimes we abort the truth of the message because of the messenger. Depending upon 
who it is that's preaching, what gender, what race, we may abort it. And sometimes we abort the truth because of the method. Some people get excited. Some people don't. And this leads me to our second passage found in John. It's a familiar passage for many of you, but I want you to kind of work with me on this. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, There was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And our second scripture, Nicodemus, was like Agrippa in many ways. He's a man of power, prestige, and distinction. Nicodemus had heard Jesus teach. And he knew there was something special about him, but he was confused and didn't understand. You see, he looked at the messenger. He looked at the method. And it didn't line up with his own concept. He, he, he just couldn't see Jesus being the Messiah that he had made in his mind. Jesus responded in verse 3 saying, Jesus said, I say unto him, most assuredly, not almost, but most assuredly I say unto you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Some version may Usually, may can't enter the kingdom of God. Jesus explained the reason for Nicodemus' failure to comprehend. And this is true with many people that come to church, sit in the pews, listen on radio and TV, and hear the word of God. They need a new birth experience. You see, Nicodemus almost, almost, he, he, he was almost assured, he, but he wasn't certain. He needs to be most assured, which is fully assured. Nicodemus could not see the kingdom until he was impregnated by the king. I think some of y'all missed that. But Jesus' explanation confused Nicodemus even more. You must be born again. And Nicodemus said to him in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus still didn't get it. Just like men today, they don't get it. And as long as we do like Nicodemus, trying to analyze God and the word of God in our fleshly mindset, we ain't going to get it. Look at what else Jesus tells him in verse 5. Jesus said, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now there's much debate about what Jesus meant when referring to water. Some says it implies cleansing, purification. Others believe Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. And then there are those who think water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Water may be a little cloudy in this interpretation, but there ain't no clouds about the Spirit. There's no debate about what he meant about the Spirit. 
He goes on in verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Somebody say flesh. Now some of these words you're going to see again. And that which is born of the spirit. Somebody say spirit. Is spirit. Do not marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone that's born in the spirit. Folks, there are just certain things that God does in our lives we will never understand. But we sense that it's of God. I asked a class this morning, we were doing our faith development. Have you ever had one of those I know it's of God miracles. Jesus gives an example of what I want us to look at as unseen evidence. It's evidence, but you can't see it. He used the example of wind as an illustration of the Holy Spirit. We do not physically see the wind, but we can experience the evidence of the wind by the presence of its power. I'm kind of a uh, weather fanatic, and I like to look at the weather channel, and those who know the name Jim Cantore know that he's a storm chaser. And I'm amazed at the fact that when we see a tornado, we really don't see the tornado. You see, a tornado is just wind. But we may see the cloud, we may see the debris of it. So he used an example of the Holy Spirit. You can't see it, but you can see what it's doing. You can't see it, but you can see what it has done. And since Nicodemus was the teacher of the law, and since Jesus, didn't, Jesus knew that Nicodemus didn't understand, he gave Nicodemus a passage of scripture where he can understand in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, Moses represents the law, while the serpent represents sin. In Numbers 21, verses 5 through 7, in the Old Testament, the people had sinned by accusing God and Moses of leading them out into the wilderness to die. And even though God told me he's going to take them to the promised land, they said God's going to kill us right here. They in fact called God a liar. So God sent deadly poisonous snakes to bite them as a punishment. And when the people confessed their sins, and asked Moses to intercede on and God told Moses, go and make a bronze replica of a snake and lift it up high. Anytime y'all see an emergency vehicle and y'all see this snake wrapped around, that's what it is. He said, and everyone that looks at this bronze replica who has been beaten will be healed. I mean, do a little teaching now. In the Garden of Eden, the devil came in the form of what? A serpent. His deceptive tactic called sin to enter humanity. Guess what he did? He accused God of lying. You will not surely die. 
But see, Jesus became sin for us to save us from sin. He was lifted up on the cross and all who look toward him will be healed from sin's punishment of death. It was God's loving grace that saved the people in the Old Testament, kept them from being destroyed. It will also be God's grace, it is God's grace in the New Testament that provides the remedy for sin. Now let's look at this verse that perhaps most of y'all know in a different way. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This most often quoted verse has important implications. It really tells us the sole purpose of the incarnation which we're talking about this month. But there's more to it than that. And there's something that we often miss because we stop right there at verse 16. Look at verse 17 through 19 with me. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn. Somebody say condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not what? But he who does not believe is what? Already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. And this is the what? Condemnation. That light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because the deeds were evil. I know what the Bible says about grace. And I understand that we're saved by grace alone. And for those critics that think that sometimes preaching hell, fire, and brimstone type sermon has no benefit or effect, I want to submit to you is that while we're telling them that God will save them simply by belief, we got to let them know what's the alternative if you don't believe. We cannot just leave it there where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and leave people feeling comfortable in their sin. Because just like physical pregnancy if they really receive this, something is going to be birthed on the inside, and if they allow it to come to it will grow. But if they don't believe, we've got to give them the alternative. Condemnation, this passage has the word four times. Condemn, 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 then condemnation. The word means to judge. And think with me now, it pitches a courtroom setting. This court is not to determine innocence or guilt. It's to hand down, it's the sentencing phase. It's to hand down the punishment for the guilt. This trial is an indictment of sin upon all humanity. And there can only be one punishment. There would be no plea bargaining. There would be no deals made. 
there would be no suspended sentence nor parole. Under God's divine justice, their only verdict is a condemnation to death. This brings me, I ain't going to leave without hope, to our final passage. Is hope and assurance that Christ's mass brings if we don't abort the truth. Romans 8. Another often quoted, but we don't make the connection. Verse 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But it don't stop there. Who do not walk, and that has to do with lifestyle, according to the flesh. So you see it again. But according to the spirit. You see that again. And here's how I keep at it. For the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus made me free. From the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do. And that it was weak through the flesh. God did. God did. God did how? Sending his. Own son. That's what we celebrate December 25th about. In the likeness. Of sinful flesh. That's the incarnation. Why? On the count of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. The Apostle Paul just summed up the purpose of the incarnation. Jesus became a man to die as a man to save mankind. I'm going to say that again. Jesus became a man to die as a man to save mankind. Again, we approach the celebration of Christmas Day from a fleshly mindset. We are guilty of spiritual abortion of the truth. Verse 5 of Romans 8. For those who live a lifestyle according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. <laughs> Y'all getting that? Those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. I'm going to start right there and just uh, go back to what something I experienced many years ago when I was with my pastor. We were out in a restaurant and this lady was having an argument with somebody. I can't remember why. And she asked Pastor Reed, she said, Pastor Reed, we ain't supposed to sin, are we? He said, well, that depends. She said, you need to tell this guy he needs to stop sinning. Ain't that right, Pastor? He, 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 he ain't supposed to be sinning. Pastor Reed said, well, first of all, is he saved? Said, no. Well, he's supposed to sin then. That's what, that's what sinners do. They sin. So I want you to look at this. If you got your mindset on the flesh, you're going to do fleshly things. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnal or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It's impossible. 
So that makes verse 8. The summation bears that. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, a carnal-minded or fleshly-minded person can't appreciate the incarnation. That's why we, 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 we're so enamored about how we celebrate Christmas. Everything we do when you're carnal-minded is void of any spiritual content. Y'all saw me bring these kids up here today. And I have a passion for them. And I guarantee if I'd ask them to sing first stanza, jingle bells, Rudolph the Red No Reindeer, they would have been okay. But ask them to sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. See, we lost something. We've lost something. Even some of us adults, we really don't know those old Christmas carols. Because we've aborted the truth. We've given in to the wishes of our children and to society on how we want to celebrate Christmas. See, I can tell by the shopping, by people's decoration, by the cars they sent, whether or not Christmas has been aborted. Can I just say this to you parents? Christmas ain't about kids. It's really not about kids. The only kid that Christmas is about is the one that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. So we got... If our guideline is pleasing our children on Christmas morning, we are guilty of spiritual abortion. Those who are not Christians cannot celebrate Christ's Mass. Those who are not saved cannot celebrate the birth of the Savior. But if we are saved, our celebration ought to show. That's the Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information service times or directions to our place of worship.